Hi friends, welcome to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. We're glad to have you here joining with our church community. I'm Nicolette. Each year, Pastor Brian chooses a Sunday in January to cast vision for the ministry and church body of CCCM and what's ahead. Today, Pastor Brian and Pastor Char share together on Psalm 145, one through seven, where the writer says, one generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They'll cast vision for CCCM and not only for this year, but what the Lord is showing them for the next few years. They'll start with a history of how God grew the ministry of Pastor Chuck Smith. Brian shares his own personal history in ministry and Char will dive into his heart for the future of our local community. Habakkuk 2.2 says, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that they may run who read it. Both pastors have a heart for Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa and seeing the congregation built up as well as seeing the next generation equipped to continue the ministry. So uh, some of you will know, some of you that have been around for a number of years, you will know that over the past, I don't know, maybe seven, eight, nine years or whatever, um, Januaries have, have kind of become a time where it's, it's unlike any other month in the year, really. It's a time where we kind of, um, we take each Sunday to focus on different things specifically. Of course, our normal, our normal um, way of going about things here is we're teaching through books of the Bible. We're teaching through the Gospel of John presently. We've been on a break because of the holidays and so forth. But as Jordan mentioned, we're going to resume our study in John's Gospel here uh, in the, the last Sunday of the month. Um, but we have had, uh, as you might remember, we had um, the church on mission. That was in preparation to the mission week that was coming up. And then last week, we had uh, the teaching on prayer, the, the Lord's Prayer, um, our Father in heaven. And, and then this week, we had uh, a week of prayer. And then next week, as was mentioned, we're going to have uh, a kind of a testimonial time, kind of looking back at what God's done um, over the past year. And so today we're going to take uh, today and we're going to talk about vision. So what I've done over the many, many years of pastoring is I've tried to take one Sunday in January, the first of the year, and kind of cast vision for what the Lord has for us as a church collectively for generally for the year ahead is the way I do it. But today it's going to be a little bit different because I want to cast vision, not just for the year 2023, but I want to cast vision for the future, for what I believe God is doing uh, with this church and, and what wants to do through this church and in this church in the days ahead. I love the passage in Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, verse 2. It says, the Lord is speaking to the prophet. He says, write the vision and make it plain, write it on tablets, make it plain so that they who read it may run. And I think that that just reminds us that it's a good thing to have vision for the future. We can't necessarily spell out all the details in advance because we don't know exactly how it's all going to work out, but we can have like a big picture vision. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So in order to do that, we're going to, we're going to, First, consider our past. So today, um, actually today is going to be a bit of a history lesson, and uh, this church has a history, 
And some of you know it. Some of you have been part of it for a long time. Some of you, uh, maybe you're, you're brand new here. You don't quite know anything about the church. So I want to walk us through uh, the past, and then I want to talk about the present, and then ultimately we want to talk about the future. So in order to look at the past, a few years ago, we, we put together a little video for our equip classes to introduce people who were not familiar with the history of Calvary Chapel, to introduce them to, uh, to a little bit of the history. So we're going to start by showing you that video. It's only three minutes, but it'll give you a bit of background, and then um, I'll come back and, and begin to, to fill in maybe a couple of the blanks, but then also to fill in the rest of the story. All right? Sound good? Are you with me? Okay. I'll be back. And that's the way it began. That's the way Calvary Chapel began. Then we moved to the girls' club building. We'd grown from the 12 people to about 25. The realtor told us that there was a church for sale on Church Street. Then we were able to qualify and we bought Church Street. From there, we had these interim pastors coming in. And then we heard about uh, Paul Smith. And then somebody said, well, Paul has a brother, um, Chuck, maybe you ought to have him come. That was the beginning of, of Pastor Chuck coming. He came the first Sunday in 1965. I came to Calvary Chapel when I was five, and I was there because my father got the job of being the pastor of Calvary. I had no idea of what the Lord had in mind for my father or for the ministry in Costa Mesa. The Lord began to speak to me. Through the word of prophecy, the Lord said that he was going to begin to bless my ministry far beyond our wildest dreams. Do you hear the Lord speaking to your heart tonight? Something did begin to stir. It was some of the most beautiful memories of my childhood. God miraculously began to grow the church and provide the money. So. My dad buys some property that was on the corner now of Fairview and Sunflower. And the church is so outgrown. They set up this huge circus tent. But it's interesting because all sorts of people and hippies began to be drawn to the church. Corey Tinboom would come to the tent. And my dad would look down and say, well, Corey's here. She might have something to say. And Corey would shake her head and she would speak to us. But I have to say that in 73, when we first arrived, that was the transition from the time that Calvary was first in the tent and then moved into the big sanctuary that we are in today. The concerts on Saturday night were drawing quite a lot of people. And there you would hear uh, usually one or two bands, maybe a single artist play. And it was phenomenal. You didn't know these people before they played. And once they played, you were just like, I love that song. And they became established as a band. And many could say that during that time, that that's when they accepted the Lord. It was at the concerts was the draw for young people. It just seemed like everybody, like the whole world, was coming and being saved. The Lord said, the name means shepherd, and I am going to make you a shepherd 
many flocks. And the people will come in throngs, so much so that they won't be able to fit into the church. I have to say that as exciting as those times were, what is happening today is the most exciting of all. When Brian and I went to Vista, what we had learned at Calvary, what we had felt at Calvary, is what we wanted God to recreate in Vista. And it's that same legacy that we have known, that we have experienced, that we want to see continue here at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. A legacy of truth in the Word of God and grace the atmosphere. So that lovely face on the screen was my wife. Um, and of course, um, Cheryl was the daughter of Pastor Chuck and Kay. And uh, I, I only say that because, believe it or not, somebody just within the last couple of months said to me, I didn't know that your wife was Chuck's daughter. And I'm like, you're kidding. <laughs> how, how did you not know that? Uh, but, you know, it's possible that people didn't know that. So just, just so you know that. And then um, Char's going to come up a little bit later, and, you know, we're going to be sharing today. And Char's my son. Uh, he's our son. He's Cheryl and my son. And um, I, I say that, too, because Colin was telling me that last week uh, after Char was teaching, somebody who he said actually comes to the church fairly often said, who was that young man that was speaking this morning? And uh, Colin said, well, actually, you know, actually, that's Brian's son. So, so anyway, just so you know all the players uh, before we, we get going here. So really quickly, let me just fill in a couple of things um, from the video. So the first two faces that you saw in the video are uh, Sharon and Terry Fisher. And Sharon, the mother of Terry, um, she's telling the story. Hi, Terry, I see you right there. And Sharon, I see you too. Um, she's telling the story about how uh, Pastor Chuck came to be the pastor of Calvary Chapel. Sharon was uh, a board member at uh, Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel was a small, uh, independent evangelical church. And through some difficulties with the original pastor, they were, they were on the search for a new pastor. And that is, of course, as Sharon mentioned there, that's when um, Chuck's name came up. It was actually his brother, Paul, who was the, the first kind of candidate to come through. Then they heard about Chuck, and he came in. But what a lot of people don't realize is that um, the church had existed for um, four years before Pastor Chuck arrived. So he came in December of 1965, originally as like the teaching pastor, but then shortly thereafter in early 1966, he became um, the, the, the senior pastor of the church. And over the next 10 years, so from 65 to 1975 or so, um, beyond that, but, but over... Uh, the next 10 years, the church would grow from dozens to thousands and become uh, the West Coast epicenter of what is known today and has been a way to refer to it for a long time, the Jesus People Movement. So some of you might have heard 
the term, the Jesus people movement. This is talking about this period of time when God was doing an extraordinary work, when he was pouring out his spirit uh, here in many places around the world, but there was a, a major move of the spirit of God here in Southern California. Um, Greg Laurie is, um, uh, has a film coming out next month called The Jesus Revolution, and that's basically Greg and Kathy's story about what God did and what it all happened here in, in the context here. And so that's what, um, that's what happened from uh, over about that 10-year that period. And, and so in total, uh, Chuck pastored this church uh, for 48 years. And during those 48 years, he oversaw the expansion uh, of the ministry, um, hundreds and hundreds of churches around the world, um, many uh, probably untold numbers of, of different ministries. Uh, they were all birthed out of the things that began here in the 60s and 70s. And then in uh, 2013, after 48 years of pastoring the church, um, Chuck finished his race and went on to glory. October 3rd, uh, 2013, um, Pastor Chuck went to be with the Lord. And then my mother-in-law, Kay, Chuck's wife, uh, his ministry partner all of those years, they began in the ministry together when they were in their early 20s, um, she would then uh, survive Chuck by a number of years. And it was in 2021, August of 2021, that she would go uh, to be with the Lord. And so that is, in, uh, there's so much more that could be said about that. But just to give you a, kind of a, of a brief um, overview and understanding. Now, during that time, there was what has, uh, many people know, that just the, the tent the, the tent was here. Has anybody in this room, uh, was anyone here at the tent back in the 70s? Okay, yeah, there's some, some tent people here. <laughs> That's great. Now, just for the record, there, were actually, there was actually another tent uh, back in the early 2000s, and some people say, oh, yes, I was at the tent. Okay, that's the second tent. Uh, the first tent was in the 70s, and it was before this building was built, and actually, during the, the time that the building was being built, in order to house all the people that were coming, they had to set up a tent. So this became, you know, the tent. And uh, I remember in uh, 1973, I was in uh, high school, just across town at Huntington Beach High School. And I remember hearing about the tent. And not only was I hearing about the tent, but I was seeing all the hippies that were here, there, and everywhere uh, many of them, you know, talking about Jesus, they were referred to as Jesus freaks. And, and my thinking, honestly, um, in regard to the tent, because people would invite me to the tent. And when I saw the hippies, my thinking was avoid at all cost. Stay as far away from this weird stuff as you possibly can. Uh, so I succeeded in never coming to the tent. But the Lord was actually working in my heart. So in 1976, uh, I did show up here. The tent was gone by then, and, and this building was uh, the meeting place. But I came in 1976 and um, received the Lord uh, shortly 
after that. And um, obviously um, began my journey with Jesus at the time. Now, 1980. Jumping around here uh, with some historical, uh, some dates. But 1980, January 1st, 1980, I was... um, well, it, it, I actually, some friends of mine and I, we were looking for something to do. It was New Year's Day, so what did you do on New Year's Day? We're excited Christians. We heard about a Bible study that was probably actually going on. Even though it was New Year's Day, they, they were still having the Bible study. We got some information. We found out, yes, that was the case. So a few of my friends and I, we went, we showed up at this Bible study, and as we were walking into... Um, attend the Bible study. It was at a home in uh, Huntington Harbor. As we were walking in, there were, I think it was three girls that were walking out. And I remember that one of them was extraordinarily pretty. And I remembered the thought in my mind thinking, why is she leaving? I am just getting here. Uh, But that's what happened. She left. I got there. We had the Bible study. Uh, That was the first time I ever saw uh, the beautiful Cheryl Smith. And without going into details, um, we, we did meet a few weeks later, um, and we fell in love, and uh, we got married in May of 1980. So that was a while ago. I said to Cheryl this morning, I said, you know, I'm really glad we got married in 1980, because it makes it easy to, to remember what year of marriage we are in. <laughs> And she said, yes, and I was born in 1960, so I can easily remember how old I am, uh, which is good, too. So, married in 1980, right here on this platform by Pastor Chuck. And uh, later that year, I began a ministry internship here with Pastor Chuck. An internship was a training Um, I had a sense that, you know, God was doing something, and I didn't know exactly what that was going to end up being, but um, Chuck obviously sensed that with me as well, so he invited me to come and do an internship here, and I did that, and then in the fall of 1983, uh, we left here uh, with two small children, Kristen, our oldest child, uh, who was two at the time, and Char, Uh, who was four months old at the time. And we left here and moved down to uh, the city of Vista here in Southern California, in North San Diego County. And I became the pastor of a small church there. And I would pastor that church for the next 13 years. During the time the Lord would lead me into the world of missions and church planting, starting in Eastern Europe and uh, the former Soviet Union. That's the time when the Soviet Union collapsed and that whole part of the world opened up to the gospel. So the Lord would lead me uh, into into the world of missions and church planting. And all of this would culminate in 1996 with our family moving, not to Eastern Europe, but moving to London, England to start the first Calvary Chapel 
in the city of London. Now, let me um, again, well, yeah, let me, let me back up a little bit. So back in 1993, in 1993, Pastor Chuck, um, I, I was pastoring uh, down in Vista at the time, uh, but Pastor Chuck began having conversations with me uh, about his sense that I was to be his successor, ultimately, that I was to be the one to take uh, the leadership of the church when he was finished. And um, as he would talk to me about that, uh, you know, I mean, I was open to that. I didn't know that that was certainly what God wanted me to do, but I was open to it. But at the time, I didn't believe that it was the time for, for anything like that. I didn't believe that the Lord was leading me to leave what I was doing, pastoring the church in Vista and doing the, the mission thing, uh, to come here and, and work with Chuck. But what he had said to me is he said, I, I'd like you to come because I want to train you to, uh, you know, I want to train you uh, for the future of leading the ministry here. Uh, but I said to him, I said, you know, I think the best training I could really get is to keep doing what I'm doing because I, you're inviting me to come and ultimately be the pastor of the church. The best training is to just keep pastoring. That, that, that would, in my mind, um, be the best thing. So these conversations were happening in 1993, 1993, 1994, 1995. And suddenly in 1996, we are on a plane uh, moving to London. And that sort of, that was one that we didn't see coming. But that is, of course, where the Lord took us. Now, fast forward to 1999. I was... Uh, happily living in England, serving the Lord, uh, Chuck reached out again. And he said, basically, he said, look, you know, we've been having this conversation off and on for a long time. I really need you to, I seriously need you to, to come. And, you know, at the moment, I just thought, I, uh, by that time, I had pretty much decided, I want to spend the rest of my life in the UK. I want to spend the rest of my life. I, I, we had planted one church. I was, uh, you know, early, late 30s, early 40s by that time. I thought, you know, I could, I could, taking five years to get a church established, I could plant like, you know, seven churches. And that was, that was sort of my vision. And so when he brought it up again, I was, I was like, I didn't really want to have that conversation but then something happened, and it was, it was kind of a miraculous intervention where I was thinking about it. I was by myself. I was in my little office. I was kind of praying over what, what I should do, and suddenly the Lord just sort of gave me a vision, and it was, the vision was essentially, you need to go back, and you need to do this. And so I was reluctant to say yes because it wasn't really what I wanted to do, but I just had, at that point, the deep conviction that that was the thing that God was calling me to do. And so in March of 2000, I returned to begin what was to be a two to three year transition. That was the agreement that Chuck and I had come to. We would do a two to three year transition. I would become the pastor of the church. He had many other things that he wanted to do. He would go 
and you know, still be here, but he would, he would do those other things. Well, uh, that two years stretched into 13 years. And um, many, many different things happened uh, during that time. But in November of 2013, uh, I became the senior pastor of this church. I was, um, I was voted in by the board of um, the church, and then that was ratified by the congregation. Now, during that long season much longer than I imagined it would be, uh, 13 years, 2000 to 2013, um, I would continue to develop the global outreach of the church. Um, the other thing, <coughs> beside uh, all I was doing pastorally here, I was teaching and doing pastoral ministry here, but the other thing I was doing was overseeing the Bible college. So I was the vice president of the Bible college, and I was basically the one who was in charge of um, hiring the staff and giving vision and direction and, and those kinds of things. Um, I, I still do that today. I'm still passionate about both of those things um, to this very day. So that's, that's kind of the past. Um, blended a bit with the present. But I want to talk to you now about the future. I became the pastor of this church not at the age of 45, which I would have become the pastor of the church. At 45, if Chuck would have, you know, gone with the program that he laid out. But instead, I became the pastor of the church at the age of 57. Now, in case you don't know, 57 isn't young. <laughs> Even though nowadays we hear that, well, 50 is the new 30. I mean, come on, right? So... No, 50 is still 50. So I was 57 years old. And here's the funny thing. Even at, at 55, Chuck still thought of me as a kid. You know, he's like, oh, you're so, you know, but you're young. And I'm like, no, I'm not young. I could get a senior discount, actually, <laughs> at Denny's. I'm not, I'm not young. But, you know, he just, I mean, I was his son-in-law, so he couldn't escape the fact that he just, you know, saw me as young. But becoming the pastor of the church at 57, it struck me suddenly, really, that my primary task here would be to transition the leadership of this church to the next generation. I, I wasn't, I honestly wasn't thinking of that so much until I became the pastor of the church and realized I'm 57 years old. Wow. Now, I'm 66 today. Had my birthday a few weeks ago. And I feel great. Uh, but nevertheless, from that, really from the beginning, I, I, I sensed that. And so my conviction has been that I needed to bring someone alongside me uh, who has both a deep love and devotion to the authority and the truth of God's word and someone who has a, a deep love and passion for shepherding God's people. And in watching Char from a distance 
as he pastored his church in Santa Rosa, um, I could see in him, I think the very same things Chuck could see in me. I could see in him a deep commitment to scripture, to scripture's authority, and I could see in him uh, a deep love for um, the people of God as well. And so although I sensed this, and, and I had sensed this earlier, just like Chuck in 1993 was beginning conversations with me, I sensed way earlier that it probably somewhere down the road uh, Char would come, but I never said a word to him because I didn't want to distract him. I didn't want to put something in his head that would just get get him distracted from, from what he was doing. So, so we never really had any kind of a conversation about it. Um, it was just something that, that I had sensed. But then at my 60th birthday. So I turned 60. Char and the family would uh, come and visit us when they were living up north. They would come down most of the time for the Christmas holidays, spend a couple weeks, and then go home. And uh, it was on my birthday. I, I was 60 that day. We're, we're sitting there, and we're just kind of talking about whatever we're talking about. And, and then Char just <laughs> sort of almost out of nowhere just said, Dad, so um, you're 60. Um, what, what's your plan? What, what are you going to do? Are you going to basically pastor the church and um, preach till, till you die, like Grandpa did? Or uh, do, you, do you have a different plan? And I said, well, actually, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. This is the moment over, over all these years that I felt like, okay, this is the moment to tell him the things that I've been thinking. So I, I just told him what was on my heart, that I thought that um, the Lord would be leading him at some point to come and join me on the staff and with a view to leading the church in the future. We had that conversation. It probably lasted 20 minutes, and that was the last we talked about it. We didn't talk about it anymore. And then the next year, we kind of had a repeat. I was 61. They were down visiting. And we revisited the conversation. And then about a year after that, we decided um, to have a serious conversation about it. And I actually asked him and Grace to pray about coming. And they ended up making the decision uh, to come and join the staff. And so in January 2020, right? Is it 2020? Yeah, in January 2020, uh, you joined the staff, and we've been serving together for these past couple of years. Uh, we're kind of serving right now as co-senior pastors, but um, in a minute, we'll, we'll kind of talk about what, what the future looks like here. But I've been talking for a long time, um, I'm going to let Char share, and then uh, I'll come back up. Okay. Thanks, Dad. Good morning, church. Good to be with you, and just thank you for um, just listening, your patience, just as we share our hearts with you. Um, I have to say that when we first started having these conversations, uh, they really were coming from a place of curiosity. Uh, my dad and I have been friends, uh, by the grace of God, for many, many years, and I've had the privilege of following my parents all around the world 
and observing their way of life and their genuine love for Jesus. And that um, was something that drew me, whoa, I didn't expect that, um, getting emotional here. That was something that drew me to Jesus myself, uh, was the genuineness of their faith, and I could not shake that. And that led me to a personal encounter with Jesus and to me just committing my life to following Jesus. And so me following Jesus, actually, I tried to get as far away from this place as I possibly could because um, maybe some of you have experienced something like this, but when you're in a role where your grandfather and grandmother have been used powerfully by God and your parents as well, there's this idea that just like, well, of course you'll go into ministry because that's just what you people do. And I didn't like that. And I really wrestled with this for years, whether I was actually called to the ministry or not. And something I've wrestled with about just the whole idea of nepotism and favoritism is that nepotism neither qualifies you for the role, but it also doesn't disqualify you. And that was something that I actually had to realize. God actually had a call on my life, and that was something that was happening, yes, because of my parents, but apart from my parents. And so I served um, at this church as a janitor after I really felt and sensed that God had called me to serve him. And I just served with my hands wide open. God, whatever you want for me, I want to do. And so I served as a janitor. I painted over most of the things here that were really ugly and repainted over those things and uh, vacuumed the sanctuary every week, uh, preparing for services. And then I got to you know, be part of the prayer team. Anyway, I did a number of things here. But in 2005, I went up to Northern California with my brother-in-law part of a small team, and we uh, took over a small Bible study there and planted a church. And by God's grace, um, and along with my wife, Grace, we pastored that church for just around 13, almost 13 and a half years. Um, and this was just an incredible experience for us, you know, where we really learned what it means to shepherds God, shepherd God's people, had a... Um, God just molded and shaped our hearts to really care deeply for people. And this desire to see Christ formed in people, not just for the sake of evangelism, not just be, you know, for what God can use you for, but for your sake, that you might know the love of God and might walk with Jesus yourself and be a friend of God. And that just became a real passion for us. And we learned so many things at these 14 years of pastoring in Northern California, just what it means to be true friends, what it means to be partners in ministry together. Uh, yeah, walk just through the difficult, um, the beautiful, um, fullness, scarcity, and discovered through all those years just the faithfulness of God. And so um, we believe that God has taught us so much in those years, and we're just so happy to bring that experience to bear upon what we're doing here now at Calvary Costa Mesa. And I say all that because when I was first told by my dad that this is what he wanted me to do, this was the furthest thing from my heart and mind. Um, I, it was mentioned we spent um, 1996 to 2000 in London, England, and actually a lot of time just in Europe traveling to large cities. And so I just have a deep, deep love for cities just because there's so much culture and life and art and music and just so much beauty of human expression and the various cultures of the world. And there you, you see just the, some of the best of humanity and also just some of the worst of humanity. So the city is uh, very formidable in my life. 
And I thought I would go maybe to Seattle. I thought maybe I would go south to San Francisco, or we thought we would go to a major city. That was one thing. And then also we were just pastoring this little village church. And so when we had this conversation, you know, I just thought, no, dad, like, I don't, that, this is not what I have planned for my life. And I remember saying to him when we were having this conversation, you know, about him transitioning, I said, hey, I don't think that Calvary needs, Calvary Costa Mesa needs to stay within the family. And he said, yeah, I don't think so either. And I thought, good, no, this is a good conversation, you know? And, and then he said, like, he often does these kind of things to me. He goes, but I think it will. And I was like, no, 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 no. And, you know, so then I'm kind of going through the punch list of like, okay, who are we talking about here? And finally he says, you know, I have long thought that you and Grace were called to be here. And just immediately, guys, just to be honest, I just thought, absolutely not. Like, I'm going to the city, Dad. I don't think we're going back to Southern California. Um, I could never do that. And he's like, no, no, wait, hear me out. And he just shared his heart with me. And I just sat there and I thought about it. And so just to test the waters, I had long dreamed, Grace and I had long dreamed of partnering and working with our dear friends, Jordan and Michelle Taylor. Um, God had knit our hearts together long ago. Jordan and I had been friends since we were kids, and we had been talking about working together in ministry for years. And so just to test the waters, I said, Dad, I would not, nor could I do that unless I had Jordan Taylor with me and Michelle Taylor with us. And he said... I love that idea. And so I thought, okay, huh. <laughs> I guess I'll think about this a little more. And so we just begin to pray and just to open our hearts just to what the Lord might have. And just over, you know, four years of just wrestling with this, of course, God is working in Jordan and Michelle and the church that they're leading in Seattle. And he begins to um, just kind of wrap things up there for them and leading them. Uh, they feel like the door is closing there and opening a new door. And Jordan is invited here to be the executive pastor. And even during that time, Grace and I just feeling more and more that the Lord was solidifying this call in our lives to be here, to come and pastor this local church. Um, we have been so excited to join this team. And um, just a little side note, um, you guys know we had the missions conference uh, the other week. And on Saturday, we had Missions Day. I think five of you maybe got the memo. Um, but we had a great day just being with our missionaries and loving on them. But at the end of the day, I brought my son Judah, who is 12 years old, and he's five, nine and a half. We measured last night. Um, I brought him just to do some cleanup and tear down with me. And as we left, just after being here all day, just working with our team, running into some of you, talking with our missionaries, I drove away and I just said, Judah, I absolutely love this group of people here. And just even in the two years of being here, I truly feel like God has just settled in our hearts that he has called us to be here. And so I just want to say to you, we are committed to being here, to pastoring, serving, and caring for and cultivating this local church. And I feel in a different way for my dad, where my dad has been a local church pastor. He's also had this apostolic ministry that has taken him all over the world. And God has used that powerfully. That's such an incredible gift. I do not have that apostolic 
gift or calling, at least at this moment in my life. I feel committed and called to the local church. That's mine and Grace's heart. I know that that is Jordan and Michelle's heart. We feel called to this local church to see Christ formed in us for the sake of others. To see, you know, as I've shared many times, that this would be a Jesus-formed community that we would be transformed into the image of Jesus, that we would live with one another in such a way that we bear one another's burdens and that the gospel is lived out among us. The beauty of Jesus is put on display among us and that that just simply overflows into the community around us with people encountering the real living Christ and him doing what he has always done is just transforming lives through that personal encounter. And so we are so excited just to continue to share with you our hearts and to share with you in this ministry. Next week, we're going to be sending out our annual report. And I just have to say, you guys, as we were editing this and just looking at the different stories, God is at work among us. And it was so just encouraging to me just to read the various stories about how God is at work in you as individuals, how God is at work in us collectively. And we are just so excited to continue to share and to rejoice in the beautiful things that God is doing in and through this community as we seek to be that Jesus-formed community on mission. So, moving forward, what, what does that look like? Um, well, let, let, let me say, in one, in, in one sense, um, not, nothing changes really, nothing that you would notice changes. For the past two years, um, Jordan and Char have been actually leading the, the daily business of the church, you know, just the, the things that happen, they've, they've been overseeing and uh, doing so very beautifully, very uh, faithfully. I've, I've mentioned this before. Um, the Lord brought Jordan, uh, and, you know, just a few months later, COVID hit. Uh, we would not have survived as a church. We wouldn't have survived COVID uh, had the Lord not brought Jordan. He, just his, just the way he thinks and you know, all of that was so necessary. And you see these things, of course, you don't know in advance who knew a pandemic was coming, right? But God, you know, sent the right person for that time. And of course, we've, we've gone through that, thankfully. Um, and then likewise with Char, as he came um, and has been overseeing the, the staff, a lot of the, the ministry, pastoral side of things, um, I can say that having been around this church for 40 plus years, that the, in that regard, the staff, and I, and I think even congregationally, I think we're the healthiest we've been ever. And so, um, so in, in, in that regard, nothing, nothing will change, like I said. Um, but 2023, here we are. Now, some of you, some of you know, uh, who are here regularly, you know that over, over the past year or so, we've kind of utilized our teaching team quite frequently. Uh, some have not liked that so much. Some have said, you know, I came, I want to hear you preach. How come there's a team up there? Um, 
I have convictions about the team. I think the team is a, is a good biblical, there's a good biblical uh, precedent for it. But, but anyway, the teaching team consisting, of course, of me and Char and of John and of uh, Cheryl and Richard recently joined. But uh, what we're going to do is we're going to pull back a bit from utilizing the team in 2023. We will utilize them at times, um, but we've pulled back. And so what's going to be happening, and this is primarily Sunday mornings. What's going to be happening on Sunday morning is Char and I are going to split the teaching about 50-50. And so we're in the Gospel of John. We're going to finish the Gospel of John around Easter time. And then we're going to transition maybe into the first epistle of John. We haven't decided exactly where we're going yet, but, but we're going to be sharing the teaching, not me one week and him another week, but you know, I might take a section, then he'll take a section and we'll, we'll go back and forth that way. So that's 2023, 2024, we'll do the same thing, except, um, the, the greater amount of teaching will shift to him and we will do more of like a 60, 40, uh, he will be teaching 60% of the time. I will be teaching 40% of the time. And then in um, 2025, wow, can you believe that? 2025. Um, January 1st, 2025, if all goes well, I will turn 68 years old. And um, in 2025, Cheryl and I will take, uh, for the first time ever, a sabbatical. A sabbatical is, is a season of rest. I know we won't rest because it's just not in our DNA. But uh, we're, we're going to take some time, take a few months. We haven't decided exactly how many yet. And we're going to be away from the church and, um, you know, seeking the Lord, resting, you know, whatever, whatever we end up doing. And, um, and then when we return from the sabbatical, uh, I will return no longer as the senior pastor of the church, but as um, my role will be something like the pastor of pastors. And I'll still be you know, teaching at times, joining the teaching team. Uh, I'll teach at the gathering um, and, and those kinds of things. Of course, we have the, the global mission Thing that I'm still deeply involved in. We have the Bible College that I absolutely love and, and plan to have involvement there. Um, but let me, let me just clarify this so, so there's no misunderstanding. Um, we have no plan to leave, and I am not retiring. So um, even though I... <laughs> I'm getting older. I still feel young. I still feel vibrant and excited about all the things that God's doing. So this isn't a retirement speech here. This is, and, and this isn't like I'm leaving. And so this is, this is just, we're, we're shifting roles as we feel the Lord is leading for the future. And um, so... I, I, for one, am very convinced that this is what the Lord has for us as, as a church. And, you know, we live in a world full of crazy rumors and you know, so many rumors out there. Uh, we wanted to just 
be transparent, just make it clear. I know some people have wondered, some people have already figured it out, some people have maybe not had a clue, but we wanted to just simply get everything right out front to say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is, uh, this is what we feel the Lord leading us into as, um, as a congregation. The next um, season of the ministry of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. Now keep in mind that any forward motion for the kingdom will be met with resistance. Any forward motion for the kingdom will be met with resistance. And so would you guys pray for this? And if you're on board, if you think, yeah, I, I bear witness, this is, I think this is what God's doing, just, you know, support, uh, encourage, all of those things. We, we will greatly appreciate that. Um, but now, right now, before we finish up, Char's going to wrap things up and we'll go into communion. But I, I want to share a quick story. And, well, let me tell the story and then I'll tell you why I'm telling the story. So, um, back when Sharon and that group were looking for um, someone to come and, and lead the church, there was a man in the church who had a prophetic gift, and his name was Roy Peebler. And he had told the group that the way they would identify the person who God was sending to them is that that person would want to remodel the church's platform, the stage of the church. Now think about that. That's kind of a funny thing, right? It's like, you know, you think if somebody's going to have a prophetic word about the person for the future, they say, you know, God's going to send us a man of power and the Holy Spirit's going to fall and we're going to know because fire comes down from heaven. But no, you're going to know because he's going to want to remodel the stage at the church. Now, if any of you knew Pastor Chuck well, this it was absolutely a prophecy of him because that's the kind of stuff that Chuck just loved. So anyway, Chuck speaks, you know, he's kind of candidating. Uh, the, the group takes them out. They go to um, a steakhouse, Bonanza Steakhouse, I think it was back then. And they're sitting there talking about the ministry and the prospect and everything. And Chuck, as is just classic Chuck Smith, he pulls out a napkin and he pulls a pen out of his pocket and he begins to draw a picture of what he thinks the stage should look like. And when he does that, all these people are looking at each other like, oh my gosh, this, this is the prophecy. This is, what, this is what we were told. And so it was that that was the confirmation for them that that was the Lord. Now, when you watch the video, you heard, you heard Chuck say that there was a prophecy about the church having a worldwide impact. There was, a, there was a word given that he was going to be the father of many. Remember when he said that? That prophetic word came to the same person. Roy Peebler was his name. When my wife was 13 years old, I said 12 last service, she corrected me. She was 13. Roy Peebler, this man with this prophetic gift, uh, he pulled Cheryl aside one day. This happened numerous times, but the first time it, it really kind of freaked her out. But he pulled her aside and he just said, I want you to look around. 
And he said to her, she's 13 years old. He says to her, the Lord is going to carry on this ministry through you. Not your brothers. Cheryl has two brothers. Not your sister. The Lord is going to carry on this ministry through you. She's 13 years old. She's like, why are you telling me this? I'm, I'm a kid. You know, <laughs> Don't tell me this kind of stuff. But he would do this over and over again. Now, when I came into Cheryl's life and I ended up, you know, Pastor Chuck began to say to me, I think you're to come and all. And I heard about the Roy Peebler pro- prophecy. It was like, yeah, okay. I mean, you know, I'm kind of fulfilling that. But I, but I had this sense that, that I was part of it, but I wasn't all of it. But then it really became clear that no, the, the, fulfill, the ultimate fulfillment of it is, is through our son, that that was what the Lord was showing Cheryl was going to happen all the way back then. Why do I tell this story? Because I want to remind us that this ministry is a work of God's spirit, period. This church was birthed out of a supernatural move of the Spirit of God. And that's the explanation for why it exists today, why God has done all that he's done in the world through it. It's because God just chose to, I'm going to bless this man. I'm going to bless this place. I'm going to bless these things. But I want us to remember the supernatural element. We believe that God speaks to people today. We believe that God is the one who raises up and appoints and calls and gifts and all of those things. We believe it. We have lived it. We are part of it, and we're continuing to live it. And so uh, I'm excited about today because I believe we are simply following in the path the Lord already laid out. We are fulfilling the things that he said so many years ago, 50 years ago, actually, in the case of Cheryl, uh, that he would do. So, Charles is going to close us, and we're going to have communion together. Yeah, so I just, I think want to just encourage us, you know, Grace and I, our family, also the Taylor family, we just came through some major transitions of our own, right? Leaving uh, churches that we just were so near and dear to us, pastoring those, saying goodbye. And just from the moment we made that announcement to the actual day of driving away in the U-Haul or whatever it was, uh, those were some really, really difficult months. And one of the reasons is, is because that's like this in-between space, right? Where you've let go of what you know, and you have not yet grabbed hold of what's next. And this is often called threshold space or liminal space. And what many theologians have recognized is that this is one of the most difficult places for human beings to be in. Like we just hate it, you know, just our skin just like, oh, get me out of this. And yet this is the space where God seems to do some of his deepest works in us because we've let go of what we know And we have not grabbed hold of what is next. And so we are just cast upon the mercy of God, reaching up, reaching out for him. Our eyes are fixed on him. And so that is my hope. I know that this might be uncomfortable for some of you. You know, maybe you feel like it's a loss. I get all that. 
we are with you in this transition through all the difficulty. We want to walk out this transition together with open hands, letting Jesus walk us through this and allowing him just to do a deep transformational work in us individually, in us collectively. Now, the thing about transition, though, is that it implies going forward, and that's what we believe. You know, one of my deep convictions, um, I mentioned that, you know, it was through my parents' faith that I begin to put my faith in Jesus. One of my deep convictions is that every generation must discover the gospel for themselves and must take it forward to discover the good works that God has preordained for them to walk in. And they are to recontextualize the gospel in a way that the generation in front of them, the, the questions that they're asking, that they're wrestling with. And that's my conviction, that we would move forward and discover those good works that we would see a whole new generation discover the gospel for themselves, allow it to take deep root in them, that they then might pass it on to their children and to their children and their children, that there might be always be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this local community. And so as we go forward to discover those good works, I just want to recognize that we spent all last week together praying this incredible prayer. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the provision that we need. Forgive us our debts and help us to forgive those who are indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We spent a, pray, a week together praying this prayer of just opening our hands to God to release and receive from him. And I'm praying that we will do the same with this word, that we will with open hands release our fears, our anxieties about this transition or about whatever is going on in our lives in this coming year. And we will be able to receive, as it were, the hand of Jesus walking with us through all that is before us. Um, and I say that primarily because this transition, as much as it is about Pastor Chuck, who was my grandpa, it's about this man right here who is my dad, it's about me, it's bigger than that. And it's always been bigger than that. What God did at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, yes, God used Chuck, but it was God working amongst you. And we believe that God is at work in you, that God is at work in us. And so this is about us as a community and what God is doing as he takes us forward. And so, we're in this together. This is about us discovering what God is doing here and now, and following him as he takes us forward. I love how Psalm 145 that we read in the beginning highlights the collective and individual work of testimony to God's faithfulness. You might have noticed this when we read it, and I'll be short. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And look at the individual. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They, the collective, tell of the power of your awesome works. I will proclaim your great deeds. Commending the gospel to the next generation is not just one individual's responsibility. It is the task of both the collective they and the individual I to both give 
and receive and give in return. And so we have shared our hearts with you, what we believe God is leading us into in this transition plan because we want to partner together with you in the work that God is calling us into, both in the work and in the fruit of the harvest. So as the psalmist so beautifully prayed, may the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Or one translation, the King James, New King James Version says, may the beauty of the Lord be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Remember, we were talking last week that Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, that this community here, even this property here, would be known as a place where the name of Jesus is honored. That Christ is among us in his self-sacrificial service and his compassion and his kindness and his empathy and his goodness and his mercy and his justice. May the beauty of Jesus Christ be upon us and may he establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, as we go into our time of communion, after first gathering, I just took my you know, little wafer and my little juice back to my seat. And I was thinking about this picture that I've had oftentimes in taking communion. And I know there's many ways that we can come to the table of the Lord, right? We can come uh, celebrating the unity that we have in Christ. We can come as those that need to confess sin and need just that absolution that our sins are forgiven. We can come because we're bearing a burden. We need to simply talk to Jesus about it. But one way in which the table has really encouraged me is actually from the Old Testament, where the prophet Elijah is wandering in the wilderness and he comes to this creek and he is fed there by the ravens. The ravens bring him this bread and then there's water in the brook. And the angel of the Lord speaks to him and he says this, the journey is too much for you. Rise, eat, and drink. And I just want to encourage you this morning, the journey ahead whether it's this transition or whatever it is in your life, it is too much for you. Because humans do not live on bread alone, but they live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We can only go forward in the power of God, in the actual you know, alignment with the Spirit, as we feast on the life that is Christ. And so I invite you, church, to come to the table this morning in this word. Go forward in this sustenance. May the broken body of Christ sustain you of seasons in the wilderness. May the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin refresh and renew you as we all step out into the unknown. And so come, take, eat, and be filled.